A reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the son of man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Well, let me uh, join Nathan in saying good morning. Uh, my name's Jason. I'm on staff here at the church as well. And uh, we are studying these days one of the biographies of Jesus that are contained in your Bible, and this one that we're looking at specifically was written by a disciple of Jesus named Mark, and the passage we just read together, you just heard read, that's the story we want to focus on today, but before we get to that story, it's important to, for you to know kind of what's happening in the background. It's kind of like when you watch your favorite TV show, and they give you that quick recap, you know, previously on, well, previously on the book of Mark, uh, Jesus has just started his public ministry, and he sets up uh, his home base, so to speak, in a town called Capernaum. And his first day of ministry, as we talked about last week, pretty eventful, pretty, uh, pretty hectic day. Uh, Jesus goes to the synagogue, he teaches the congregation there, and before his sermon even ends, he, he casts out an evil spirit from one of the guys in the crowd. After the service, he goes back home, and, and we believe this is, or we know this is the home that belonged to uh, two of his disciples, Peter and Andrew, uh, which is where we think that uh, Jesus is pretty much staying at this point in his ministry. And as he goes home, he finds Peter's mother-in-law. She's in bed. She's sick with a fever, so Jesus heals her. Word starts to spread about what's going on in synagogue and at the house that day. And by the end of that evening, people, as you can imagine, are just lined up at the house. They're wanting to get in there, to get, get in on this, and to be healed by Jesus. And we learn that he, Jesus does that. He heals a bunch of people on that first day. Jesus starts displaying a power and authority like no one has ever seen before. And, of course, as you can imagine, the crowds just keep coming. So after that long first day, the next morning, Jesus gets up early, and he just, he's like you and me. He needs a break, right? So he heads off somewhere private. And he begins to pray and to sort of get the reset going. And he decides in this time that, you know, it's time to go on tour, so to speak. It's time to get out of here. So Jesus comes back. He gets his disciples, and they begin to travel. They go throughout the region known as Galilee. And as they go, they preach one message, and the message is this. A new kingdom or a new world has come. Jesus began to call it the kingdom of God. 
And Jesus not only claimed that he was king of this new kingdom, but that following him was the way for you and everyone else that he came in contact with to be a part of this kingdom that had come. And so what you see all throughout this story in the things that Jesus says and the things that Jesus does is he's really going around answering a question by the things that he does. What kind of king is Jesus? And what is this kingdom that he speaks of like? What, is, what kind of king is Jesus? And what is this kingdom like? So everywhere Jesus goes, people are set free from evil spirits. Diseases start to get healed. And then as he goes, the word spreads. The crowds grow. To the point where Jesus, it says he can't even enter a town anymore quietly. Mark tells us that he had to stay out in these secluded places because people just kept flocking to him. So finally, after a few days on the road, Jesus comes back home. Probably to Peter's house where he'd been staying before. And, and that's where our story begins today. But before we take a closer look at that story you just heard read, I want you to remember those questions that I just raised for you that Jesus is going around answering because even in these moments that we're going to look at today, he is still answering those questions. What kind of king is he? And what is this kingdom that he speaks of? What is this kingdom of God and what is it like? Now, apparently Jesus was able to sneak back into town without anyone really knowing where he was at first. But just like every other time, the word gets out. And Mark tells us pretty soon people start showing up at the house again. And they pack into the house this time. So imagine, people start walking in and flooding into the house until pretty soon the house is full. Once the house is full, the crowd starts to spill out onto the streets. Just imagine this picture in your head. Imagine people gathering around outside of a house, leaning into the windows, getting as close as they could, trying to just do everything they can to get a peek at Jesus. Or if they can't get within eyeshot of him, they're trying to get close enough to hear because he's speaking, he's teaching. And so they're crowding around, getting as close as they can because they want to just get a glimpse, just to hear a word of Jesus' teaching. And the more he teaches, the more the crowd grows. Can you just imagine walking up to this street and seeing the street spilled over into in, people spilled over into the street look like a crime scene people everywhere all around this house and as i said for days now the word is sort of spread there's a preacher in town and he's healing fevers and leprosy he's casting out demons and the word finally reaches some guys in town and immediately when they hear the news they think of their friend see these uh, four guys in town they, they've got a friend they love him very much and See, he's paralyzed in his legs. Now, we don't know how he got that way. Maybe he was that way from birth. Maybe he was injured in an accident. We just don't know. We're not told. Did he do something to cause it? Or did someone else do something to cause it? We just don't know. Mark doesn't tell us. But we do know that this man, this paralyzed man, he has four of the best friends a guy can have. Four friends who love him dearly. And so when they hear about the preacher who's in town who's healing people, they run and they get their friend and they say, we got to go now. And so they, they grab the, the mat or like a makeshift stretcher that this guy was carried around on and they grab it and they rush him across town to get to the house where the preacher is preaching. And when they get there, they see what image I just gave you. They see the street is full of people. There's people gathered around and inside this house, and so they start to try and push their way through the crowd. Can you imagine? And everybody's so excited to be there, and they don't want to give up their spot. They're not letting it by. And you can imagine, it's, it's, you've got to make a pretty big, big space for this guy to get past. They won't give, him, give up their spot. 
But the love and the faith of these friends of his, they won't be deterred. They, they, they find a spot where they figure out how to gain access to the roof of the house. So they climb up to this roof, and they drag their friend with them, and they get up on top of this roof. Now, for context, a roof in that day was made of a combination of straw and thatch and mud, and they would cake this together, and they would just let it sit out and dry in the sun so that it would get hardened. But it was still not an extremely heavy or, 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 or thick kind of a material. In fact, what we think maybe is probably as they were walking around up on this roof, they can actually hear what's going on down underneath, and they're, they're trying to estimate about where they think Jesus is based on the sound of his voice. And so they pick a spot, and they get to work. I want you to put yourself inside the house for a second. Imagine this scene. Jesus is in the middle of a sermon. People are gathered all around as tight as they can get in, and they're listening to him speak, kind of like you're doing right now. All of a sudden, they hear something up on the roof, and pretty soon after that, dirt and debris start to fall, little by little. And they're probably thinking, oh, great, now people are up on the roof. They're about to crash through. And as they hear and as they see what's starting to fall, and no doubt this dirt and debris is starting to fall around Jesus, maybe even falling on his head, all of a sudden daylight pops out of the roof. And slowly a hole begins to open up. And Jesus looks up, and here's what he sees. Four heads staring down at him. And then the four heads disappear. And the next thing he sees is just a big stretcher. And it starts to slowly lower down and the stretcher gets lower and lower and lower probably just a cloth with four ropes on it and he gets closer and closer and closer and everyone pretty soon as it lowers can see there's a man lying on that stretcher probably holding on to one of those ropes for dear life I mean good grief would you trust your four friends to let you down easy now safe to say the sermon's probably over at this point <laughs> not much else you can talk about and everybody who's there and everybody who heard about it later they kind of know what's about to happen. So do you, right? You're kind of thinking, well, paralyzed man on a stretcher, laid down in front of Jesus, the healer. What's going to happen next? Jesus is going to heal him. But they're all wrong because Jesus is about to throw the ultimate curveball. Jesus looks at this man with a physical disability and he says the strangest thing. Son, your sins are forgiven. And it's strange for several reasons. First of all, that's obviously not what the paralyzed man or his friends came for. I can't imagine when he heard what Jesus said, he breathed out a sigh of relief and said, oh great, my sins are forgiven. Pull me back up boys, we can go home now. No, this guy obviously came for a healing, but for some reason, Jesus wants to focus on sins. It's also strange because Jesus obviously knows that by saying his sins are forgiven, he's going to cause controversy. Jesus knows there are religious leaders watching and listening. They're probably looking for reasons to get on board with what Jesus is doing and teaching. When someone shows up with the power to do the things that Jesus does, it's obvious that God is with him. But when Jesus starts to claim the authority to forgive sins, well, that's a bridge too far. Now he's making himself equal with God. And for the religious leaders, a man who claims to be God, well, they just don't have a category for that. And you hear them say that, it's blasphemy. But notice how Jesus reframes this whole encounter. Up to this point, 
everyone sees Jesus as an impressive teacher with the power to heal, so he must be on God's side. And so they're bringing sick people to him so they can contact this healing power. But Jesus flips the whole thing on its head. With this encounter, Jesus is demonstrating to the religious leaders and to the gathering crowds. The healings are secondary. In fact, they are just a sign or a proof of who I am. I am healing your diseases to prove to you that God has come to dwell among you. And the primary problem God has come to resolve is your sin problem. So what do we learn about Jesus from this encounter? What kind of king he is and what kind of kingdom he has come to bring? A kingdom where, yes, the broken and the helpless are welcomed even when they interrupt the king's sermon by breaking through a roof. Yes, a kingdom where diseases and sicknesses are being healed. But more important than any of those things, a kingdom where your sin's no longer a problem for you or for God. See, you think your biggest problem is your physical or emotional illness, but Jesus thinks your biggest problem is sin. And the good news he has come to bring is that God is taking care of it. But what is sin, really? That may sound like a silly question because we all have a definition in our heads. When most of us hear the word sin, they tend to think of bad things that people do. Not the bad things I do, but the bad things other people do. Because those are way worse than mine. If you grew up in church or some religious context, you heard a lot about how sin is bad and God hates sin. And if you don't get yours forgiven before you take your last breath, then you'll go to the bad place instead of the good place. In our culture, most people see sin as the really fun stuff we all want to do, but deep down we know is bad for us. It's a big piece of chocolate cake we call sinfully decadent. We call a city out in the middle of the desert with the casinos and brothels Sin City, and the advertisements promise that what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, until your spouse finds out, of course. But what did Jesus mean when he talked about sin? And why is it much more pressing of an issue for Jesus than it is for most of us? Well, Jesus was a first century Jew, and they often spoke of an idea they called shalom. In fact, it's still used as a Jewish greeting in the way we say hello. In English, we translate the word to mean peace, but it was way more than that to the Jews. Shalom was the time and the place when God, humans, and all creation would be brought together in a state of justice, fulfillment, and delight. The Jewish prophets dreamed of a new age in which human crookedness would straighten out the foolish would be made wise and the wise made humble. They dreamed of a time when people would stop weeping and everyone would be safe and cared for. People would work in peace and their work would prosper. A lamb could lie down with a wolf because the wolf had lost its appetite. All nature would be fruitful and filled with wonder upon wonder. All humans would be knit together in brotherhood and sisterhood and all nature and all humans would look to God, lean toward God and delight in God. Shalom is universal wholeness and delight. In other words, it's the way we are supposed to be. And sin, it's simply the opposite of shalom. It's life the way it was never meant to be. There's a book that I read uh, way back when I was in college. It's written by a Bible scholar. His name is Cornelius Plantinga, which is the perfect name for a Bible scholar, don't you think? But Plantinga, he wrote this entire book on the topic of sin. And I know you're all going to run out and read it today because it's riveting. Um, but he wrote this book and he titled it 
not the way it's supposed to be. He talks about in this book uh, a movie that I have not seen. Uh, It was made back in 1991. It's called Grand Canyon. And in one scene in this movie, there's an attorney. Uh, He drives a really fancy sports car, and for whatever reason, he winds up taking a detour through town, and he gets lost in a really rough part of the city where his car then breaks down. He calls a tow truck, and while he's waiting for the tow truck to arrive, uh, he's surrounded by a group of just bad dudes. They're there for no good. And they start threatening him, and uh, he feels very unsafe. Well, about the time that this all is going down, uh, a tow truck driver shows up, and out jumps this nice gentleman played by the actor Danny Glover. Anybody remember Danny Glover? Lethal weapon? Good dude. All right. So Danny Glover jumps out of the truck, and he confronts the bad guys, and he gives them a speech. And I want to read to you part of his speech. Here's what he said to them. Man, the world ain't supposed to work like this. Maybe you don't know that, but this ain't the way it's supposed to be. I'm supposed to be able to do my job without asking you if I can, and that dude's supposed to be able to wait with his car without you ripping him off. Everything's supposed to be different than what it is right here. That's the definition of sin. It's a perfect definition. Just not the way it's supposed to be. It's not how the world was created. It's not what God intended. And this is what Jesus meant whenever he talked about sin. See, most Christians, and I'll include myself on this, we've been given a concept of sin that's basically only based on a legal transaction. You probably heard this. God is the perfect judge. Sin is breaking the law. Sin is mainly a personal problem between you and God. And you and I, we have to be punished for our sin. So Jesus took the punishment so that God would be able to declare us not guilty. Now, there's nothing wrong with that image. In fact, the Bible uses that image in places to describe what happened when Jesus died on the cross. But you, you need to know, when Jesus walked around talking about sin, he didn't use that image much. In fact, Jesus' favorite metaphor for sin, he liked to talk about it in terms of a sickness that needed healing. In fact, we're going to talk about this uh, in a week or so. Right after Jesus heals this paralyzed man, he winds up going to a party. And these righteous religious leaders see him at this party, and they see who else is at the party. <laughs> And they confront Jesus, and they go, Jesus, why are you hanging out with all these notorious sinners? It doesn't look good on you. And Jesus' reply was this. He said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people need a doctor. So I have come to call not people who think they are righteous. I have come for people who know they're sinners. In other words, who know they are sick. So Jesus believed that sin is an illness, and it's affected everybody. It's affected everything. And that illness is destroying and breaking down everything God intended for his world. Sin is destroying shalom. And the worst part is that sin, that sickness, (laughs) you chose it. And so did I. We all willingly chose the sickness over the cure. That desire for sin to make things not the way they're supposed to be, it's in all of us. 
later in your Bible, uh, the little brother of Jesus, his name was James, he talked about this. Here's what he said. He said, temptation comes from our own desires. It's in us. It entices us, drags us away, and then these desires give birth to these sinful actions. And then when sin, we allow it to grow, gives birth to death. In other words, by our own will, our own desires, it's what's in me, it's what I want. Human beings, we veer off the path of the way God intended things to be. And the natural consequences of that, natural consequences of sin, he says, are just death and destruction. And you're all smart people. I need to tell you that. You get this, right? Think about everything in your life that you would classify as not the way it's supposed to be. It just ain't right. Every broken relationship, every argument, every grudge you hold, every struggle you have, every addiction you face, every tear, every grief, every pain, think about all of it. They all exist as a result of sin because this world's not the way it's supposed to be. I'm sick, y'all, and so are you. We're all sick. The world is sick. We need a doctor. We need a cure. We need to be healed. Not just of these specific consequences that sin has brought in our world and in our lives. We need healing at the source. We need to be healed, rescued from our sin. And that's what Jesus knows. That's why he looks at this man hanging from those ropes, lying on this stretcher, unable to walk. And he says, son, good news. Your sins are forgiven. Because Jesus knew sin's what put him in that stretcher. Now, not his sin necessarily, or anybody else's sin. We're just talking about sin in general. The breaking of shalom. The way it's not supposed to be. And when Jesus makes that declaration, son, your sins are forgiven, he is declaring the cure to the sickness has arrived. And to prove to everybody in that crowd that he was truly the cure for sin, he then heals the consequences of sin. And the man walks out of the crowd. Now remember what Jesus' message is. We've gone over this, but let's remember. The kingdom of God has come. It is here. It is breaking through into our world. And Jesus would say, I am the king who is now ushering in this new kingdom. I am the cure for sin. I am taking care of your sickness. So now, your response is to turn away from the sickness. Stop choosing the sickness. It doesn't have any hold on you. You don't have to do that anymore. The word for that in the Bible is repent. It just means change your mind about this stuff. Change your behavior towards this stuff. Turn your direction away from everything that's destroying you and destroying the world around you and just turn toward me. Jesus said, follow me. Sin is not a problem any longer. You are free from that. I am the way to freedom. I am the way it is supposed to I don't know what images you carry around, but I carry around images that have been handed to me, images that I've picked up over the years. And I think a lot of us carry around an idea or an imagination about what sin really is. And I think for a lot of us in your imagination, you picture sin like this, well, maybe like this huge mountain of garbage or something, and it's standing in front of you. It's a mountain of your own making, of course. And here you stand, you're on one side of that huge mountain of garbage, your sin. 
And God's way over there on the other side. And because of your sin, he can't get to you. So what do you do with that image? Well, you work hard to try and get rid of the mountain. You, you try to overcome it. You try to climb over it. You try to clear it out and get a space so you and God can be connected again. You make New Year's resolutions, and here it is, January 15th, and how's that going for you? And you're tired. Aren't you tired? Doesn't that life just wear you out? Pretty soon you live long enough that way and you just give up and you give in and then you just fall back and then you just sin again and again and again. It's a bad image. You know, when Jesus encountered sinners, he never seemed to respond to those people as if their sin was any problem or barrier for him. In fact, he would meet a man named Matthew. We're going to talk about this in the coming weeks. Matthew was a greedy crook. He, he stole from people, and he was in the midst of that lifestyle, and Jesus sees him out on the street and said, come be a part of my inner circle. All that stuff you're doing, it's not a problem. Come be with me. Later on, a woman is brought to Jesus, and they tell her, Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. We pulled her out of the bed. What are you going to do with her? And he said, I'm not condemning her. He told her to go. Sin's not a barrier for you. Go back to your life. Go a different path. When Jesus is nailed to the cross, there's a man beside him, literally being executed for his crimes. Jesus says to him, your sin is not a barrier between you and me. No longer. Today, you will be with me in paradise. So for me, at least, these days, I have stopped picturing sin in my imagination as a mountain or a barrier between me and God. These days, I picture myself still standing in front of that mountain of my sin, but Jesus isn't on the other side. He's with me. He's standing right beside me. In fact, he's got his arm around my shoulder, and he's gently saying to me, Son, I got this. This? It's not a problem for me. I'm here. I'm with you. You are free. So now follow me. And you and me, we're going to undo all this that your sin has done to you. We're going to undo all that your sin has done to those around you. Trust me, and I'll remake you. And together we'll remake this world. And together, we'll make it like it was always supposed to be. That's what Jesus meant when he said to that paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. And that's what he's saying to you. Because that's what he says to me. Son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. I've dealt with all of that. I took all the consequences of all of your sin, all that it could throw at me, even death on a cross. And I overcame it all. I even overcame the ultimate consequence of sin. The grave. So you just turn from your sin. Be done with that life. And follow me in my life. And I am making all things new in my kingdom. Just the way you and they were supposed to be. If that's not good news, I don't have any better. 
So I want us today as a church community to have the chance to experience that a little bit. Spend some time just sitting in it for a minute because I think we need it. So Nathan's going to come and lead us in that time.